Imagine what it'd be like if we were really curious about each other. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Relational Spirituality, the weekly podcast of LargerStory.com, the podcast that sees all relationships as spiritual and all spiritual formation as relational. Now, here's your host for this week, Kep Crab. Welcome, everybody, today to the next installment of Relational Spirituality, where you can belong, you can become, and you can be known. We hope that you join us every Tuesday as we release a new podcast. And if you like what we're doing, subscribe to what we're doing and click the like button as well. Today, I'm joined by a familiar face, someone who I hope you'll get used to seeing a little bit more, a colleague and a good friend of mine, uh, Mr. Duncan Sprague. Dunk, thanks for joining me today, bro. You called me Mr. Woo! I must be moving senior, up. Yeah. Senior, <laughs> yeah. Se- senior Duncan Sprague. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know, man. But, yeah. Uh, you're on the road right now. You are. You and Angie, your wife, are on the road. You guys have, not too recently ago, just got done with a year of traveling around and touching mm-hmm. base with a lot of the people that you're in relationship with through ministry. <clears throat> Tell me how that's going real quick. Oh, it's going great. My wife and I, we work for a ministry called Cadence International. It works with military primarily U.S. military, uh, but also for some foreign military aspects. And we, uh, Cadence is all about hospitality. So the their theme verse is 1 Thessalonians 2.8, which is to share the gospel. We loved you so much that we wanted to share the gospel and our lives. And I've often thought that in the original Greek, it must have said the gospel and our messy lives. <laughs> Just because the reality is you get out on the road and you start engaging with people. So we spent a year traveling around just meeting alumni uh, of the ministry. My wife is the alumni director. I'm the alumni pastor. And part of the beginning of our job was we just wanted to make sure that we knew who some of these alumni were. So we met just under 2,000 folks who had gone through the doors of one of our hospitality houses or youth ministries or children's ministries. And we got a chance to reconnect with a lot of them, find their stories, and soul talk fits so well with what we were doing. It was all conversations, and people said, you're on the road to go have a conversation? I said, absolutely. And it was it was a year of just reconnecting. So we did the whole United States. Now we've shifted into what we call regional hubs. So we did one to the south of Colorado, where we're headquartered down into the Texas area a few months ago. And now we are doing seven weeks up in the Northwest, traveling around. And as we've been on the road for the last two weeks. So you're seeing me in the RV. I'm sitting in our RV. You can see a little bit of it behind. What's that? Yeah. So we're fortunate to be at a place that has a good Wi-Fi right now, but we're up in Washington State just connecting with some folks. Awesome, bro. It's so good to see you. And and it's funny, as you start to talk about Soul Talk, that is the book that we're chatting about this quarter in just in respect to themes and and different thoughts from that book. And Dunk, you and I have known each other for a long time, and we've had a ton of these Soul Talks. We've done some webinars together, but this is, I think, the first podcast for relational spirituality that we've had a chance to do. Mm -hmm. And just to give everybody a little context, too, Duncan and his wife, Angie, are part of the small life group that Kimmy and myself are part of. So we've had an opportunity to know them for a while and get to know them well and have really developed a incredible relationship with them. And we're going to do two things today as we chat. 
And I just want to let everyone know what's going to happen is first thing we're going to do is talk about some themes from the book Soul Talk, just as we move into it, which was probably dad's most, I don't know, Dunk, what would you say, practical book? Yeah, it's the one that every day you will use. Every encounter with an individual, you will feel the battle that's going on inside of you. So I, I think in some ways, it's the book that I refer to the most often, because I'm always asking, am I doing a whole lot of self-talk right now, or am I trying to connect with another soul? Yeah. Tell me, let's talk about that. You sure. just talked about a little bit of a distinction there. We caught the end of the self-talk versus soul talk. Mm -hmm. Unpack that just a little bit in, in terms of what you think. I think what Larry highlights in this book is that the majority of our conversations are all about self-talk. <laughs> Even our, should I say this? I, I've been a pastor most of my life. And so I can speak with authority on the fact that so many of my messages that I've preached over the years have really been practices of self-talk. How do I look good in front of a crowd so that they like and keep coming back? The pressure is on how I perform. The pressure is on it. Now, I'm wanting to tell the story of God, and I want to invite them to it, but I'm oftentimes using means in which, how do you make Jesus look good? How do you make him more palatable for an individual? And so self-talk, I oftentimes refer to it as the, the place where the unholy trinity gets put on display. Yes. The unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. It's ways I talk to turn the conversation back towards me. And it is, at, the, at its heart, it is the fall being manifest in the way that we communicate with each other. So yeah. Larry unpacks it as a soul talk says, I want, I've got something of the resources of God in me that are, if poured into you, will release a life in you that is putting glory, bringing glory to God rather than glory to ourselves. So that's, I think, the, at the heart of it is that soul to soul connection that leads us to the author of all souls. I love that whole notion of the soul talk, self-talk. We were talking today. We're going to chat about two things. Certainly some of the themes, like I said, from the book that we're discussing this quarter. And then we'll talk a little bit about maybe perhaps some of the stuff we'll talk about next quarter. But the, the other thing we're going to talk about is the seven questions of spiritual theology that dad introduced to us. And Dunk and I, as we get done chatting, and I don't know, Dunk, I think this might actually be a good opportunity to dive into the seven questions because I want everyone to know that as we move forward, at least with my show, I'm going to be chatting with a number of different people who have thought about this, these seven questions really hard and have heard dad teach on it many times. And I, I'm excited to dive into this series of what does it look like to talk about these seven questions. So as we prepare for these real quickly, let me just tell you what these questions are just as we get ready to move into this series on the seven questions of spiritual the theology. The first one is who is God? And you start to think about that. And we've got a little definition, but I think it's easier to let you guys think about these here. What is God up to is the next question. Who are we? Question number three. Question four, what's gone wrong? Question five, what's God done about our problem? That's what's gone wrong. And how is God's spirit moving today? That's question six. And then question seven is how do we join the spirit's movement today? Mm -hmm. You and I, as we were prepping for this today, <laughs> we chatted about 
some of this stuff. And I said, oh, let's stop. Let's save this for our conversation this afternoon. So as, as we're diving into this here, what do you think about as you go, to, as your mind goes to the first question of who is God? Well, the, I think the thing that I, there's a natural way that I go. And I think it's oftentimes the way that our theological mind goes. We think rationally about God and we we get lost in the, I know Larry would ask the question oftentimes, he would ask this question at the beginning of a seminar. He would say, who is God? And oftentimes you'd hear the words of holy, majestic, all things that are high and lifted up. But he would oftentimes say that there's not much personal about it. So we get, oftentimes this question in theological circles will get lost in questions like theology proper or core theology, where we talk about the attributes of God rather than how God relates. Who is he? And we miss the reality that God at his very essence is a community that gets together, gets along really well. I remember thinking that it, when God created us in his image, he talks in a plurality. He says, let us. The beginning of Genesis, we don't have a real clear picture of who's the us he's referring to. And it's only as we read the larger story of scripture that we see that the us that's going on is, is a trinity. And oftentimes we we get lost in that Old Testament view of God as he is one, he is big, he is so big, he's out of reach. Then when the incarnation happens the and Jesus comes in flesh and blood, he says, I and the Father are one. Then all of a sudden we say, who is God? We go, oh, the oneness that he referred to in the Old Testament is one relationship. And then when Jesus is about ready to leave, he says, and by the way, I'm leaving another behind, the Spirit, who will be the same Spirit that is, is keeping the Father and Son's relationship working. This is the part where I know Larry loved this verse in Second Peter where that talks about that we are participants in the divine nature. What is the divine nature? It's God's nature as a community that every part of the community is radically other-centered in the way they talk. When Jesus talks, he says, have you seen my father? If you've seen me, you've seen him. And it's important that you see him. And the father, as the spirit is coming down on Jesus at, at the baptism, you see this, the father speaking. He says, this is my son. You hear this radical other-centeredness of, this is my son whom I love, in him I am well pleased. So there is this radical other-centered nature that we get to be participants in. And I think that's what Larry talks about, the way the Trinity naturally talks with one another and saying, look at him. That is the nature that he's put in us, this divine nature that no longer says, look at me. It's radically other-centered rather than radically self-obsessed. Let me ask you, That's I, I just love the notion of community. Yeah. The whole thought of relationship, community, being together, was something that I think set Dad apart in some ways in respect to how he wrote. Even in this book, which he tells so many stories, he opens his own soul, <laughs> no pun intended, yeah. in this book. He's talking to us, and which is so great because he talks about 
five things that really can start to, that you can really wrap your hands around yes. as you start to have conversations with people that matter, which was something that he loved to talk about. Yeah. And those five things in Soul Talk, and help me with them, Dunk. I, I, the first one is, is it's think, it's, think beneath. it's think beneath. Yeah. Think vision. Think passion. Mm-hmm. Think story. Yeah. And then think movement. Yeah. You, you have your mind in those categories. Yes. It allows you to start to think in a way that takes the story off of you. Yeah. And now makes you curious about that person who you're talking with. Yeah. And as you unpack the first question, who is God? Mm-hmm. And really, he's a perfect community. Th- that then leads to the second question as we just overview some of these real quickly mm-hmm. as we move through them, getting ready to jump into the series yes. on the seven questions so people can start to think about this a little bit. Yes. But what's he up to? Yeah. What's God up to right now? Yeah. What's going on? Because I'm talking with so many people whose lives are in such challenging places. And mm-hmm. you, you might have caught the time that I chatted with Tom and with Brian Fast this, these last couple of weeks. It, was, it would have been several weeks ago when our episode runs now. But and it's just, how do you stay engaged when you're talking to these people? And you, you talk about all these people that are going through tough times. And I used to think, mm-hmm. wow, dad had the toughest job. He'd go and do this for a living, talk to people about their problems, about the things that are going on in the deepest parts of their just deprived souls. Yeah. And then have to come home and deal with me and Kenny. <laughs> <laughs> man, you got the toughest job, dad. But what is God up to now? What's going on, man? I love the fact that when you state the stories, you talk about his public persona and his private realities of what goes on when he comes home to the you boys. And here's the thing that is unique. And was, Kenny was a troublemaker. <laughs> oh, he was? <laughs> I, I heard that you gave your dad plenty of gray hair. <laughs> but I, I don't know what's responsible for mine then. But the- yes. <laughs> The thing I love is that he was the same person in both of those. The the public persona, you didn't get the preacher who had a different voice from behind the stage as he did when he was sitting with you and your son and your wife. And that's, I think, part of the the piece that your dad didn't put as much emphasis on the uh, the accolades that came. I remember at one point asking him, how do you not take seriously the, well, how do you not believe the press clippings, both the negative and the positive ones who say, you're, you've got the divine nature. You're like the fourth member of the Trinity. Somebody putting su- such high idealistic elements on him or the radical. Um, he's a heretic. Yeah, he's a heretic and uh, never listen to this man. He'll lead you away from God. How do you not? take the weight of both of those and put weight on all either of those. And one of the things I love that he would say is, he says, I figure that my wife knows me better than any of these people. And when I come home from these conferences where I've gotten great praise and some criticism, she's just not that impressed with me. <laughs> and she's my biggest cheerleader, but not for the reasons that I perform. But she's, so there's something in the, he was aware of the influence that he had, but not to the degree where he elevated himself beyond the most important relationships, those in his primary community. So 
when you ask the question, what is God up to? I think God is trying to get us, I, I think God is trying to get us caught up in a larger story bigger than ourselves. And it's that practical eschatology, God's plan for now and for later, yeah. that that he's always trying to captivate us with, rather than getting lost in, he, he must be up to something in me. We make his story so small and think that that we are the problem. And that probably leads into the to the question, then, who are we? Which is the third question. What do you think as you as he shifts from <laughs> what is God up to and who are we in light of what he's up to? I did want to jump on one thing real quickly that you were saying yeah. that that kind of caught my ear because when you're when you hear some of the things and I, I think I completely agree with you as you're talking about how dad responded to some of this and I had a chance to see that and I even get a chance to experience a little bit of it now, a little less. And, oh, you're Larry Crabb's son. And I used to think, wow, what's it like being his kid? I, I used to either be a smart aleck and say, yeah. he's the only dad I've ever had. But in, in retrospect now, as I've looked back on it, and now being a father of my own, to yeah. see how he how he operated and how he moved into your life in a way that, that lasted, yeah. that's lasted at least to me now, yeah. was so important. And as you talk about people who would come up to him and say, you're the greatest or whatever, or you're the worst. I think he was probably, he struggled more with the ones that said, you're the greatest mm. because he really, he even said to us at one point, and we didn't do this necessarily, but at my funeral, this is dad speaking. He yeah. said, I would, if everyone got up there and just talked about how nice of a guy I was yeah. or, or how I, I wrote some good books or maybe helped some people along the way. But I, I want them, them to know that I was a struggler. And that what was happening inside of my interior world was it was a battle going on. Yes. And and that what I think he wanted us to know is the spirit won. That flesh spirit battle at the end of the journey, at the end of the narrow road, his journey, the spirit won. And so how he finished was so important. But I think he was mostly taken back more by people that would give him heavy compliment. And I used to ask, what do you think of that? And he said, uh, but he was really he really gave us a great example of what it means to not be and really focusing on the larger story. How are we part of that larger story, which is the, which is that kind of that, that, that third question there, yeah. uh, who are we? Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that I think what we have to realize, which I think I'm starting to in a new way is that we're made in the image of God in a way that allows us to relate in the same way that, that Jesus and the father relate with through the spirit. Yeah, And that to me is starting to change the way Kimmy and I relate to each other. Yeah. We're in a great place right now, even through all the hard times we've been from the health stuff and some dis- depression and discouragement and all that stuff. But where we are now is, is on some solid ground. Yeah, It feels, and that's not to say what tomorrow brings, because I don't know, but I'm sure grateful for today. And, and so that's who we are, is we have the opportunity, and Dad gave us that example, yeah. to represent Jesus to others yeah. in a way that doesn't say, look at me, I'm Dr. Larry Crabb standing in front of these people speaking. No, yeah. look what Jesus can do through me, yeah. and guess what? He can do that through you too. Yeah. And that just gives me goosebumps. And I love the fact that you highlight that at our core, we are image bearers of God. And what does that mean? 
I know theologians have debated over the years, what does it mean to be in his image? And I think Larry uniquely and articulates it really well when he talks about we are relational image bearers in the same way that the Trinity is a relationship, a community, God has intended for us to put his, his image on display. So that's the creation. He has created us male and female to put on the image of God. It's not isolation that we put God on display. It's in relationship with others, which again, just highlights the fact that we think that theology is systematic or anything like that. He would oftentimes use the word relational theology, that we all, we all, we have to see all the thinking we have about God, which is that's all theo, theology means, theologos, God thinking, God thoughts. That's all of our God thoughts should be seen as a relational thought, not just a rational way. Or So he, I know early on in his years, he would talk about what does it mean to be human? And he would take the secular definitions, but add one component to it. So the secular model was emotions, intellect, will. That's what a human is. And Larry would say, yes, we are rational people who think. He would say, yes, we are emotional people who feel. Yes, we are volitional people who choose. But then he would always say there is a fourth circle of what it means to be human. We are personal people who relate. There's this relational capacity. We cannot define humanity apart from one another. And we try to define ourselves as individuals when God says, no, the only definition of you is in relationship to others. Yeah. No, I, I think that's who we are. We are a relational being created in the image of a relational God. Yeah. But that, and, and just to be fair, I'm sorry, Doug. No, go well, for it. I was, I was just going to say, just to be fair, it was Dr. Houston at yeah. Regent University years ago who was having a conversation with dad and mentioned the term relational theology. Yeah. He and, would... and dad said, well, I'm, I'm familiar with, with other types of theology, but what is, what is this relational theology you're talking about? He said to dad, and dad used to use, love to use his little Irish accent or Scottish accent, excuse me. And, and he would say something to the effect, that's the only kind of theology that actually makes a difference in someone's life. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and thought to himself, huh, maybe that's an important place for me to go and start yeah. to think. And I think that started him on a path yeah. down the whole notion of how relational we are. And yeah. what, is, what does the Father mean when, or when Jesus says, I want you to have the same togetherness and yeah. be, the, be one like I am one with the Father? That's right. Well, that's relationship. We're built for relationship. Yeah. Dad used to say the worst punishment someone can have is solitary confinement. That's right. Is being put by themselves. Yeah. You usually either kill yourself or you go crazy uh, over a, a period of time. That's the worst. We're built to be in relationship. Yeah. So that's who we are. If you ask for that's and that's yeah. the the thing that that oftentimes when we start to talk about male and female issues, you start to go with just external stuff and I feel like a boy. But Dad got into how we're designed yeah. uniquely yeah. and perfectly in relationship to how the Father is, God the Father, yeah. Who, yeah. who women completely represent in a way that we are not possible. And the same goes for us as well. 
And that's the fourth. That brings us to the fourth question. And this is probably a good little segue on the fourth yeah. question as we have this soul talk moment here, my brother, is long. Yeah. Because it looks like a lot to me right now that's really gone wrong. Yeah. And, and it looks like we're heading off a cliff to some degree, but what's gone wrong? What's the problem? As you ask the question, I'm reminded of a, a moment when we're always asked, is it getting better out there or getting worse? And our tendency is to choose one or the other. And I think I would hear, I, I remember hearing Larry saying both. It's getting worse out there. Depravity is only growing in its darkness. And, and it will, and it's always, it's always growing in its, we think, how can it get any more crazy than it is right now? But then we realize that the radical thoughts of today actually are becoming the traditions of tomorrow. Yes. Who could have imagined when we were children, the kind of world that our children would be exposed to in their schools? That's person who did imagine that was C.S. Lewis, who wrote yeah. The Abolition of Man. That's right. And because this is not something new, it just seems that from our perspective, it's yes. been perpetuated yes. in a way that, that it's now, wow, this is just overwhelming. Yes. Uh, and it's so wrong. But yet yes. at the same time, this is not something new. Yes. So what went wrong? We are abolishing the abolition of man, the abolishing of humanity. What's happening right now? God created us in an image and something happened, a fall where we determined that we would determine what is good and what is evil, we would have our own definitions of goodness and badness. We would decide black and white. And you see it playing out right now in politics and in cultures where Everywhere. we go, is there any fixed point that stands in against the flow Yes, there is, but it will, the flood, the waters may rise to the point where you too could be abolished. And I, that sounds rather macabre, but the reality is evil will always look like it's winning the further it goes along. The, the gospel story is it looked like Satan had won yeah. until life, re, life resurrected from the dead to show that Jesus was the Lord over death. It didn't have the power to, to do this. Yes. That's the resurrection oh. life and the resurrection power that's in us that's saying it doesn't matter. You, literally, somebody could put you to the guillotine, go back to France during the French Revolution, and they would bring these people out and put the guillotine out, and they would be chopping heads in public squares and imagine you as a believer going there and the blade comes down and slices your head off. And I'm sorry for the morbid picture, but imagine for a moment that your head could still talk. What you legitimately could say is, you missed me. And it was worth it. And it was <laughs> worth it. You couldn't destroy what was most um, precious. And that's the part that I think believers oftentimes miss is we think that we're trying to protect ourselves from death rather than seeing death as the doorway yes. to, to the final hope, the oh, final story. It, that... It's interesting what dad used to say about what's gone wrong is this, we're God and you have this anti-God virus 
yes that's now in you that's that you see now so pervasively yeah. in in where we are it's just such an anti god thing yes and so then the, then what you're getting into when you start to talk about salvation you start to talk about the gospel yeah is is what's god done about the problem that's right what's god done about this fall that yeah. but it reminds me you as you were talking a little bit of the story of esther is it looked like everything's done tomorrow we're killing everyone all the israelites are gone and god says no i got this and just, just literally spun it on its head and now the whole we know the story and and the yeah. people that were going the guy that was going to kill everybody ends yeah. up losing his own life with his son's lives as well um in 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 respect in god's larger story yeah will not be thwarted that's right no matter what even when it looks like it is so what's god done about this problem, this anti-God virus problem that we have. Yeah. He, he gave us a picture of what redemptive living looks like by coming into the very world that was already infected. I, I had a professor years ago that talked about God as the, the grand scientist, the one overall, and all of heaven couldn't imagine why this creator of all the universe spent all of his time looking at through a microscope at this little black dot that was on this Petri dish. And it was Earth. We oftentimes picture the space as the black place and our Earth as the light place. But I think heaven looks at it just the opposite. We're the infected bacteria has come into the virus that is destroying it. And all the glory of the Lord, <laughs> the space, eternity, is outside of us, surrounding us. And yet here is the scientist who's giving all of his focus to this bacteria, this virus-infected planet, and saying, I'm giving all my attention to this. And all and so we your dad used to say, if we could only see what captivates the angels are looking oh. at what God the Father is doing and saying, What's the big deal? Why is this little space so much of your attention? And yeah. so he then turns to the all of the heavenly hosts and he says, I've got an idea. My most beloved son, I'm going to make him so small that he's going to go in there. He will be the cure that comes into this plagued world that, that has turned in on itself. Because what does sin do? It makes me the point. It, Augustine talked yeah. about it. It's the curve sold, the soul curved in on inward. Yeah instead of turning outward like the Spirit of God. That's the big difference. If we understand what went wrong, your dad would oftentimes talk about my nature, what comes naturally to me, is to live for my own well-being at any cost to you. <laughs> I don't care how much it costs you yeah. as long as I'm happy, as long as I'm taken care of. Because I'm all okay, right. right. So that's what the sin has done. It's made my nature all about my own well-being. But we to see God's nature, what he's infused in this world, Jesus came in and his nature, what comes naturally to him, is to live for your well-being at any cost to himself. Yeah. He takes Which it all. The that's right. And then that divine nature that's radically other-centered, all about putting your needs before my own, he says he's put that very divine nature in us by the Spirit of God. So the Spirit indwelling us 
he's come and he's saying, okay, your natural way is not the deepest part of who you are. A new covenant I'm making with you. I will put my very nature into you. That's what he's done. He's gone to a, an extent to say, I'm going to pay the price for you. And then I'm going to put my very nature that connects the Trinity. I'm going to put that other centeredness love in you. Which leads to the next question. But before we jump into question number six, I'm just, it just occurred to me as you, as you and I were chatting here that as you start to think movement and you start to think beneath and you start to think passion and you start to think story, you start to think all these elements that kind of make up a conversation that matters, how they're tied into these questions allows you to have that, that, that conversation. You and I have had some of these kind of conversations in the past, but as we just unpack some of this now and you talk about now, which is the sixth question, as I start to think story, they start to think underneath what's going on inside of me right now. Yeah. What is the spirit doing today? Yeah. What, what, what is God's spirit moving? How is God's spirit moving in us today? And that's yeah. what you were just unpacking there. And that's the sixth question yeah. of what is the spirit actually doing? You say that the answer to the problem, what God's done about the problem, is he's now given us his spirit literally, yeah. which he talks about in Acts, which is the best thing that we can ever even think of. That's right. And what we've talked about a bunch, Dunk, and this has been my theme since dad's death, really, mm-hmm. is how do we live a spirit-led mm-hmm. life? And that, mm-hmm. of course, lead to the next question. But unpack, how is God's spirit moving today? Because I feel that the yeah. Lord's spirit is really moving to me. Yeah. Well, and that's, that comes back to the the is it getting worse or getting better now? And I think it's both. The spirit is moving where it's darkest, the light shines brightest. And so I think we're in a time where relational rev- the, re- the relational revolution that your dad was so much a proponent of has more opportunity when somebody says, no, I am willing to put my rights aside in order to make myself available for your deepest needs. Instead of, we've got a world of angry evangelicals who feel like we've been slighted and we're getting taken advantage of. And when Jesus was getting slighted, he didn't get angry. In fact, on the night that he was betrayed, he gave. When somebody betrays me, I don't want to give, especially not myself. I'm not going to cast my pearl before swines. But what did Jesus do? He said, no, my spirit is still, I would have, Jerusalem, I would have longed to have gathered you. Um, A mother hen gathers its chicks. He was still giving, even as he is doing, taking care of them. Peter is getting all angry and picking up a sword saying, I'll defend you, Jesus. And Jesus says, I don't need defending. Put down your sword and pick up the spirit. Pick up. And he says, it's enough. (laughs) No more fighting with swords. I've come. I am a sword. They can't destroy me. But I think we oftentimes are short-sighted, and so we miss the larger story that God is telling. We we miss it in our smaller stories. And this is one of the ways that I think your dad, one of the ingenious ways that he talks about the ways we tell our own stories he uses the old Greek categories, the genres of story, and he would say, sometimes we will tell our stories, we'll get lost, and we'll tell our story like a tragedy. Oh, look at what I've had to endure. 
feel sorry for me, take sympathy on me, but don't require anything of me. I'm too weak. So that, and there's a pull. The pull is feel sorry for me. Don't require anything of me. And your dad will often say, when somebody tells their story like a victim, require of them nobility, invite them to, you've got more strength than you can imagine, not in yourself, but you can bear up under this, under this. Yeah. Sometimes. So not just tragedy. We oftentimes tell our story like a romance where we are the we are the hero of our own story, and uh, you've been around people like this. Oh, life was getting really rough, but look at me—I'm more than a conqueror. Yeah. But we miss the quote. The quote is, uh, "We are more than conquerors in Him, <laughs> not in our own strength, yeah. right? But in His strength." And and so the oftentimes we get lost thinking that we're the hero of our own story. Other times we can tell our story like an irony. We can say, come and sneer with me at all those peons that are just being duped into this. That So it's that kind of that smug superiority over others where we, we connect with other cynics who stand outside of community and culture and judge them rather than joining them. Uh, and that's, I think, what is the Spirit doing? He's inviting us to join people, not in cynicism, not in sneering. And I think the fourth way that he said that we could tell our stories, the fourth fleshly way we tell our stories is like a comedy, where the comedy is anything to distract by painting a smile on myself like a clown um, yep. to live a happy life, a shallow life, but a happy life. That's what we think the goal is. Um, And all those deeper elements where I feel pain and emptiness, we do anything to distract from engaging in those deeper parts where the spirit actually comes as deep longs for deep. So the spirit and us, we're trying to connect with the spirit soul to soul. So the ruling passion of all those stories is I want the blessings of this world as my ruling passion. What's core inside of me? I just, I want people to feel sorry for me. I want them to applaud me, be happy with me. I want them to join me in my cynicism, or I want them to put on a happy smile, just be positive, encouraging, optimistic, rather than entering to a deeper passion. And this is what the spirit is doing is he's given us a deeper passion a deeper passion that in whatever circumstance I can enjoy the presence of God. And your dad probably displayed this better than anyone I've tasted when he would get stuck in the hospital for 30 days (laughs) and he would commune with God. Some would say, I'm going to go crazy. And yet for him, he felt a level of grief when he had to come out of that (laughs) because something communed with God in that place and nobody wanted anything from him. They, they, no one was asking for things too, which which was interesting because towards the end of his life, what my brother used to do is actually put a pen in his hand that he would hold a pen because that he was so used to writing so much. He always had a pen in his hand. I just remember my dad with a pen all the time. And that would almost be a comforting thing to him yeah. there at the end as he was laying in the hospice bed. Well, Dunk, we've got one more question and then we've got a wrap here. I don't want to go too much longer, but this has been so fun. You... You, when we have the conversations that we have, I feel energized. 
Mm. I, I feel more passionate about different things. And I really appreciate that. It's so fun to, <clears throat> to connect with you in that way. And the last question just real quickly is, and this has been the, the kind of the, the theme of what we've been focusing on is how do we join yeah. in to the spirits movement? How do we hear the spirits movement? How do we, as dad would say, how do we see where the spirit's going and, and follow the rhythm of the spirit on that? And that's what we're going to be unpacking as we start to do. I don't really want to unpack it now because I want people to check us out. But we gave you a quick overview of the seven questions, at least the first six for sure. And we're going to continue to talk about these. And these are really connected to how we have soul talk conversations with people. Mm -hmm. We just appreciate y'all joining us today. Join us next Tuesday as we uh, continue on with our soul talk quarter. If you don't have a copy of the book, soul talk, please go to larger and order your copy of it today. Duncan Sprague, thank you so much for joining me today, my brother. And I hope you have a great week. We'll see you on Sunday. Everybody have a great week. See you. If you like what you heard today, hit the like button just below. Then come back by subscribing to our podcast channel. For more resources on relational spirituality, go to our website at largerstory.com.